This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. England hammer North Macedonia and let's take a beat before saying it's only North Macedonia because it is a contractual obligation of all broadcasters to tell you that North Macedonia are no mugs. England were brilliant that fourth goal. Trent Alexander-Arnold to Saka and then smashed into the top corner. A couple more for Kane. Nadim's here. Perhaps he'll tell us what he really thinks about him. Also, Ireland finally break down Gibraltar. Northern Ireland lose at home to Kazakhstan. In news we weren't expecting, Gary O'Neill gets sacked by Bournemouth. Very harsh or smart brutal ruthlessness. In more news we weren't expecting, Darren Moore leaves Sheffield Wednesday. There's the complex bit about Chelsea offloading four players to the Saudi League. Do all that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nader Manuha, welcome. Hello, sir. Hello, Robin Cowan. Good morning, Max. And live from Samson in Turkey. Hello, Ben Fisher. Hi, Matt. Uh, let's start then with uh, England 7, North Macedonia 0. Alex says, will you please spend a couple of minutes talking about how good England are before you move on to North Macedonia? We will do that. Um, Saka Hattrick, uh, a brilliant performance, 12 points from four games uh, in their group, 15 goals for, conceded one. Um, can we start, Robin, with that Saka goal? Trent over the top, Saka chests it and smashes it into the top corner. You and I on the WhatsApp group, we both, well, we did let out involuntary noises on the WhatsApp group. That's taking it a step too far. But we, <laughs> we both announced that we did. We did yeah. just sort of, we, I, I sat up straight. Yeah, um, I did the, oh, and uh, yeah, my husband wasn't really paying attention. He was on his switch. So that made him at least look at that goal uh, for a couple of seconds. It was just glorious. And yeah, uh, just the way he... Um, hit it so hard it was just so satisfying the way it curled away from the goalkeeper I mean you could probably point a few fingers about the defending you know it it kind of bounced in it nicely trapped it and then but ah and it's just he clearly is just such a popular player I don't think he's like a sort of proper national treasure isn't he but like sort of there are certain people who I haven't met anyone who has a bad word to say against he's added to the list of Bob Mortimer yeah, and Chris Kamara for me. Like I don't know, I don't know anyone who's got a bad word to say against any of those. And Attenborough, yeah, just, Stelling. Yeah, Attenborough. Maybe the and you know the sort of anti-stop oil people might not might not like him. Perhaps I don't know because he's a he's a bit he's a bit environmental. So we're getting into that now. Well, but anyway, <laughs> but wouldn't they be pro? Wouldn't they be pro that? I mean, wouldn't just stop oil. Like I mean, the people David who don't like the stop oil people. Oh, right. Wouldn't, wouldn't like okay, him. right. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Right. So I'm just, <laughs> People no, who just eat petrol are exactly. anti no, Good point. <laughs> a good shout. No, it, it, I love loved that. And yeah, just generally, what what a great performance from England. It looked like they were having a lot of fun, which is great to see, especially when, you know, we probably a lot of international teams are like, I really, really wish I was on holiday right now. But it looked like they were having, like, yeah, super fun. Yeah, that's the thing, Nadim, isn't it? It is easy to go, God, it's June and really football should have stopped by now. And I'm sure some of the players might feel that, but you didn't get that sense. And we've all seen qualifiers that are really boring. And this was actually a scintillating performance. Yeah, it certainly was. I think was the first goal scored after 30 minutes. So for that first section, you know, you could see what North Macedonia were trying to do. And, you know, in fairness, they were doing it quite well. They were defensively solid. Didn't really offer that much in attack. We can see they were going to try and make it difficult for England. But I'm going to lay all my cards out on the table here. I love watching England. I love watching this England team. 
I love the players within it. And recently I was reading Michael Rich's book and I know there's no free ads, but shout out to Michael Rich's for his book. And he's talking about when he was playing for England in like 2008, 2009, how the different sections within the, within the group, like this is the Liverpool section. This is the Chelsea section. This is the United section. Obviously there was no city section back then, apart from just being around the back or something. But like with this group of players, you see Harry Kane celebrating with Saka. That's, that's like Arsenal Spurs. You see in City United all celebrating together and it feels like it's a proper group the way that it kind of needs to be and should be. And you can see they enjoy playing with each other. And they're so good as well. That it's, it's, it's fun. You know, I've heard some people say you need to be more attacking, this, that, and the other, and have their complaints. Uh, to be honest, I think those people are just miserable. Like, I enjoy watching this team. They're so dynamic, especially up top. That I, I really love watching them. And even, like, the idea of being more attacking. They started the game with Rice Henderson and a right-back in midfield. Like usually someone will get sacked for that usually, but then instead it's like, oh, the master stroke is so good. It's so clever. It's so this, it's so that. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much biased. I enjoy watching this England side more than anyone that I've seen in any years gone by. And I hope they win something next summer so that some people can just shut up for another four years. But that's my take anyway, Max. Um, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, they're starting 11 had a combined 590 appearance, soon appearances for the country. Second most by an England starting 11 in any international, which, which is weird, Robin, because they seem really young to me. Well, this is, it's a good thing, isn't it? Because so clearly, yeah, they are young, but they've got that many caps. You know, you've got the likes of, um, well, obviously Kane, who's still, I mean, I guess he's starting to kind of... No, he's not young now, is he? He's not young, but he's, he's, he's you know, he's still, he, but he's still like, you know, absolutely at it. Um, but they're all racking them up. Got Carl Walker, who still doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. Um, and yeah, I think that probably... That stat made it look like, and it, it kind of, it manifests itself on the field. They just looked so confident, professional, and knew exactly what they were doing, um, all of them, uh, just and so confident. And I think what, what Naden was saying there, it shouldn't be underestimated. We, we must think back to pre-Southgate and the atmosphere, the toxicity around this England team. What he has done is incredible, absolutely incredible. They are likeable. No one really likes them <laughs> before that. And then they yeah. like each other. It's, yeah, I just think that shouldn't be underestimated. I, I think you're right. I mean, I, Barry isn't here to say, you know, well, you know, wait until the quarterfinals of the Euros or, or whatever. I, and we will have to get to that point. And the point is, if you are, if you're, if you're one of those people that Naden wants to shut up, you're in a much easier position, right? It's unlikely you'll win an international tournament. It's hard. There are other teams that do it. But while, you know, there isn't anyone there to say, unless Ben, you want to come in and say, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is nothing. It's, they are mugs, North Macedonia. Then, then it is, a, it is, there is this positivity is great. And, and I find that cliques things. It just, it sounds so embarrassing. Like, like it, I just sort of never really quite believed that it would really be, you know, it's Man United at one table and Liverpool at another, because it just seems ludicrous that like adults would be like, Oh, this is how we're going to do this then. All right. You'll be, you'll be closer friends with some people than others in any squad or in any workplace. But that, was it really that real, Nathan? Yeah. That, like, if Mike is going to put pen to paper on it, or rather, you know, obviously, Mike, you can't write, but if, uh, no. if it was to come out in a book, then yeah, then it, <laughs> it, that's it. It's real. And I'd heard about that in the past. And I think, um, speaking with Johnny Lesko, he said there was a game, I, th- I think it was at Euros one time, and I think he scored. I think it was from a Gerard assist or something. And then when he came back in the summer, he was being criticised by some Everton fans saying, why did you celebrate with Steven Gerrard? 
No, that was like the norm. And it feels so, so weird. But then yesterday, they play at Old Trafford. I'm seeing a Liverpool player getting a round of applause walking off the pitch. And also, I was just like, I'm in, I'm in a different world here. Yeah. And I know this sounds so positive and some people behind the scenes are being fuming off this. But I think the way that I perceive international football is that overall, you know, everyone knows it's very, very tough. And we never really know how well another team's doing because you're so focused on your own. Whereas domestically, you know, like if you lose to Brentford away or something, then you can understand Brentford have got a bit. But no one knows how good other teams are and how well they're doing. Most people probably couldn't tell you the last few games for Belgium, for Spain, for France and so on and so forth. So they just think that like England, oh, they should be doing better, they should be doing better, but without any real context of what international football is actually like. But I think this team's capable of being successful. I think they're capable of winning a tournament next summer. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do it because as I say, they're so dynamic. They're solid first. And then they've got so much like flair and attacking prowess up top that, you know, they're going to be in with a chance. And I wouldn't necessarily say that's always been the case throughout my time watching England anyway. And Ben, a lot of the positivity, you obviously follow Wales for The Guardian, about the Welsh team when it's been successful, and we'll get onto it being less so now, is is creating that sort of club mentality. And that's that's always said to be important when your players aren't perhaps as good or you've got two or three really good players and the rest aren't. But actually, that's what England are doing with a whole squad of good players. Yeah, I was going to say, just sort of alluding to what, what Nadam said, that there's so much personality in this England team think that helps. Obviously, you know, it's, it's really endearing. It's very likeable. Um, and I suppose, obviously, the job for Southgate and the challenge has always been how does he flesh that out and how do we see that on the pitch? But at the moment, I think, you know, he's sort of nailing it, really. Um, you know, and we're seeing it with, with newer players in the team. Eze, you know, even people like Aaron Ramsdale, big personalities, Madison, um, probably leaving a couple out here. But it, Saka, it's just great to see players looking, feeling liberated. Obviously, the... There's a caveat in the sense that doing it against, you know, with, with respect at home to North Macedonia is different to those quarterfinals, etc. that you, you spoke about earlier. But I do think England is so vibrant, so so alive. And, it, and as Nadam said, it's it's hard not to like this team. It's very, very likeable. Yeah, and they blew them away. North Macedonia had two draws here before in 2002 and 2006. So I'm not too much of a, a, a comparison there. But, you know, they did knock Italy out of the World Cup, Robin, in that uh, playoff. So this is, you know, this is the, they are, they're, they're no mugs, which I think Andros <laughs> said, like you have to say it, like it's a, it's a great cliche, but they yeah, are no mugs. I think that, you know, that, is it Brian's gun Twitter account? That'll yeah. be the next one, won't it? I think it might be. So many people said they're no, no, no mugs, but it is, it's true. They are, you know, they are one of the better international sides and I don't think they even had an attempt, let alone on target. I think they actually didn't have an attempt on England's goal. Um, that was certainly the case on kind of 60 minutes and they were, you know, we just absolutely battered Did you go them. to bed on 60 minutes? I did. <laughs> I, I stayed up and watched all the goals, but I, I just, I think they, they passed it back to John Pickford so he could have a touch, but I don't think he did anything. Um, so no, I, it was really impressive and you've just got to, you know, obviously, you know, you want to beat France in that quarterfinal. Um, but this is this is all good. And actually, you know, there was a lot of questions over Gareth Southgate and whether you should have stayed on. And since that quarterfinal, won every game and looked very, very good. And also, I, I would say this is without Jude Bellingham as well, who True. hopefully will be fit and have had a really good season at Real Madrid under his belt as well yeah. in the summer. Um, it was funny that you mentioned that, you know, that penalty... Uh, the seventh goal and the commentator said, oh, you know, never in doubt. I look at every Harry Kane penalty. Oh, couldn't you have just done that 
Can you have just Why? done that in the 84th minute? I, I just can't. I, 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 he's Why moved on. Why was it that one? <laughs> he's moved on. I haven't. Uh, Jed says we need Nadem to revisit his piece on Kane from a few weeks back. The world needs it. Please. Uh, he scored at least one in 21 of his last 22 major tournament qualifiers for England. Um, uh, and uh, was that his 50th goal as captain? I think he scored. Uh, because Saka, the, the youngest player, first Arsenal player to score uh, a hat-trick for England men's team since Theo Walcott, since that hat-trick against Croatia. Um, actually, Kane's ball to him for, for his hat-trick goal was a really good pass as well. And we, we should, we again, obliged to talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold um, and and that that pass, Robin, was kind of the moment that was kind of like, oh, this is what Trent can do. But was it that brilliant a pass? Like it was a good, it was the right ball to play. Mm. But, um, but, but was it, you know, was that Glenn Hoddle? You know, that, it's not, it's not, it's not Kaka versus Liverpool, is it? Well, I'd, he's got the technique, the vision, the awareness to do that. No, I think he's got all of that. Um, do I expect him to, to see him lining up sort of starting the first game of the Euros in midfield? I don't know. Cause again, as I said, Bellingham's still to come back. Would you have a Bellingham, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Declan Rice, well, it's quite exciting, isn't it? But um, I mean, I hate to be the sort of to roll out the cliche, but I'd like to see him do it. You know, let's see what how he does against you know a France or a Croatia, someone who's you know has got a really really top midfield because it's not in possession, no problem at all. He is absolutely absolutely exceptional. I think you know the the criticism comes out of it, doesn't it? Um, you know, for club and maybe country as well. Yeah, I, the, the thing with Alexander Arnold is obviously this uh, sort of clamour for him to be in midfield. I I don't know, maybe maybe I've missed it, but it feels like it 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 went away quite substantially. He was getting pelters for not being able to defend, and then it feels as though Southgate has kind of put him there, not out of nowhere, because I think he played his in midfield as a kid, and there's always been that uh, thought process that he maybe be better suited to midfield because of those deficiencies, if you want to call it that, defensively. But I think in a way, Southgate's almost made hard work for himself now because it's worked so well, so kind of seamlessly. You know, he's got the number 10 shirt on and looks great and scoring goals and all the rest of it. It'd be interesting what what England do go for. And also Liverpool, I mean, Klopp's going to obviously face all of the same questions. And at times, I think Liverpool and Klopp have been quite prickly about, you know, no, he doesn't need to move position he's perfectly fine there he's perfectly capable there there's no issue with him defensively so I think actually him going into midfield and let's face it it is a different position um it won't cause problems but I think I think it's yeah it's going to give them, them a headache they could probably just do without because I think Klopp would have probably just left him where he was pop John Stones in there as well and then <laughs> you know even more headaches. Basically, the day nadum of the centre back is over, or the defender is over, isn't it? What, 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 did you ever want to just wander up in there? No, absolutely not. No, it's minefield in there. I've got yeah. listen. I, I prefer when the game's in front of me. Yeah. People coming for bit. Ah, oh, it's bad news. Very hard. What do you make of Trent? Then? No, I. I uh, so I hadn't. I didn't really watch the game a couple of days ago, so I thought, let me tune into this one to see what it's like. And I thought he did have a. He had a good impact, but I thought he waned throughout the game. And um, I think I'm with Robin where. When your team's in the ascendancy, it's obviously very different to be playing in midfield like that. But when you're more on the back foot and you've got to dig in, then I think you need some of the sort of like nuances of the position to understand the nuances of the position to really be effective with it. Because it, like I was the same with 
John Stones a few months ago. Like he he came into midfield and had a big impact. And then at some point, I thought he looked like a defender in midfield. But then as time passed, he then, you know, progressed on to that next stage. But lo and behold, all that stuff comes when they're in attack. So when you have to look at that other side of things, like you have to be a two-way player as such. But I think to go back to that, um, to the assist for uh, Saka, it's it's amazing, you know. We 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 sort of eulogize about people moving the ball around at the back, little like keep your foot on it, bring people in. But there's still some level of beauty to the channel ball. I think Trent's just like reunited the previous fifty years worth of footballers <laughs> spent all the time working on that. But it only ever works provided people are willing to test the line and behind. And Saka's very much going to do that. I think Rashford's very much going to do that as well. I think that's the element where I don't know. I'd like to see Kane hire to potentially get a couple of those as well. But maybe him coming short creates that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But it's um it's a fantastic ball. And then the finish is just absolutely outrageous. And as a defender, if you think a team's always going to play short, you tend to be more aggressive. You're always trying to edge forward, edge forward, edge forward. But then when all of a sudden a ball like that goes flying over your head, as you're running back towards your goal, it's the one time when you don't know where anybody is. You don't know the positions of everyone else around you. So it's just absolute just chaos defending. And I think if England can maintain that, again, it's one of the reasons why I like them because they can be so dynamic and they will use it. But Trent at midfield, I'm interested to see, as as the guys are saying, what Liverpool do next season. Because I do see him as being able to do certain aspects of it. But can he do it all? I guess we'll have to find out. Uh, so England top of Group C, then four from four. Ukraine in third, six from three. Italy have three from uh, two. Let's uh, end part one there and we'll begin part two with Wales defeat in Turkey. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Turkey 2, Wales 0, Ben. It was one of those games where all these things kept happening and you thought, well, you know, so Joe Morrell sent off 41 minutes. It was, it was sort of an orange, could have been yellow, could have been red. And then they get this soft penalty, you know, they've already had a goal disallowed Turkey and then Danny Ward saves a penalty and then they get another goal disallowed. So you sort of think, hang on, are Wales going to do something miraculous here? You sort of started to believe and then obviously they didn't. Yeah, it did feel like things kind of all conspired against them. Uh, obviously, Turkey, sort of partisan crowd. I mean, when the Morel, when he made that challenge, literally the whole substitute bench, obviously one of those really long, sort of super long uh, dugouts. They oh, all, great, all, all, the, yeah. all, 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 all the subs poured onto the, uh, into the technical area. It was um, quite the sight. Um, yeah, and from there you're thinking, God, this is going to be a long night. And as you say, they, you kind of thought towards the end, you know, as the game went on before, that, before the first goal, you're thinking, are they going to, somehow get a point here out of, you know, when at that point it would have been a really good point. Um, And then it was really deflating. Obviously the first goal does go in when, you know, the legitimate one that counted. And then the second one's a a bit of a world he really cuts in and puts in a top corner, albeit under not too much pressure. And then by the end, you're just like two defeats in what, four days. Um, You know, Wales came into the camp sort of preaching they wanted six points would have taken four and they've ended up with with none and uh it's just funny how it can change can't it, it you know it all flipped on friday at home to armenia really bad result but also a just dire performance um against a team you know let's face it 71 places below them in the rankings um but strangely you know going into that game things were the outlook was quite rosy quite positive they got that unlikely point in croatia and then suddenly all of that's just gone to waste. And now you're looking at it and they're going to need a minor miracle to qualify automatically from the group. And, you know, Wales have had it so good uh, the last few years and suddenly it just feels a bit, just a bit cold and just, 
you're questioning where it's going, really, which which is quite sad. Is it is it Rob Page out, or is it just look the the players? You know, he's got to manage that transition from brilliant old players who couldn't move by the World Cup to players like Brennan Johnson, you know, young players who still need a bit of time. Yeah, pff, Page is definitely getting a lot of flack from fans. Uh, I don't think they think he's the man to take this team forward. Maybe they're right. Uh, I do think Rob Page deserves credit for the job he he has done. However, it's one win in 12 games since they qualified for the World Cup. Um, and if you actually look back at it, they, they've not played well convincingly. They've not convinced in the game for quite a long time. Even I know those uh, playoffs are high-pressure games, but you could it won't be a popular comment or thing to say, but... You know, they were, they were lucky, really, to, you know, the goal that obviously takes them to the World Cup was a slice of luck, obviously deflected free kick. And then from there, you're looking at it and they've played well in patches, but they've, you know, any game they have won, it's been a 1-0, like they, they beat Latvia in March, 1-0. Um, and they just need so much more. And at the moment, Page is not getting it out of them. As you say, Brennan Johnson is, is I think, the most exciting player in the squad. He went off injured yesterday with a with an ankle problem, Um and it's going to feel quite a long few months, I think, now between between now and September. And um, yeah, I think fans have resigned to probably the, the, this campaign is done. Any positives? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think there is excitement at some of these younger players, but I think you're asking a lot for them to just go in, go and rip it up straight away. Jordan James, Luke Harris, uh, Birmingham and, and Fulham, respectively, are you know highly rated, both eighteen. But like people like Johnson, uh, I think can, you know, do, do more, can push on. But I think the issue for Wales is people like Dan James, even Nico Williams to a degree, Harry Wilson, all of these players we've talked about for quite a long time now who aren't kids, you know, oh yeah, they can progress, they can develop. And actually, it's okay as they're doing, that they're not doing enough. And um, obviously when in, in the Gareth Bale era, as it were, he could provide those big moments he obviously carried the team Ramsey's been way off it uh, and suddenly now it's just you're looking at it and it's it's not that good a team and I, mm. I think it, it's catching up with them a bit actually how is Ramsey looking? Uh, not that he was such a he was such a brilliant footballer wasn't he? yeah there was a couple of moments last night where he he played a little pass and um, you know you kind of still think he has that ability to do things that frankly others can't do or don't even see um, but he's getting bypassed in, in midfield at one point yesterday he took just a split second too long on the ball suddenly Turkey you've got the border on the counter and Ramsey sort of you know left left behind um, I don't know if if the game's a little bit too quick for him now that's what it looks like um, clearly undoubted ability and I think also the problem is he's been given the captaincy and ultimately he he probably feels that responsibility and to a degree has that responsibility to provide those moments that Bell so often did down the years. And he's just he's just not doing it. He doesn't seem able to do it. Nadim, did you retire before the game got too quick for you? Or, or, or alternatively, was it always too quick for you? What's... Max, relax. <laughs> relax, relax for that. Oh, very relaxed. Relax, my friend. Relax. I uh, Playing at the back, it's a different game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because as you get old, you start to read it better. And I remember when I was younger thinking, oh, I'll try and run as much as possible. And as you get older, he said, run as little as possible and have the biggest impact. So it doesn't really get ahead of you like that. And if people are quicker than you or whatever, you say, well, why, why am I going to race them? Just like drop off. I remember years ago, 
playing against Cameron Jerome um, and Steve Bruce had him at Birmingham. We were at Sunderland. They said like, um, just don't race him. Just just drop off. Just drop off and then see what he has to do. So Cameron, really nice guy and all that. Played with him a few years. He's desperate to run in behind. But when there's no behind, he's like standing there like, oh, what what do I do now? So he has to go short. And I'm sure most of you don't remember many games where Cameron Jerome was coming short for 90 minutes. So uh, yeah, you just, you just figure out a way to do it. And it's a shame for Wales that they're in that spot. But I don't know. What do you, what do you think about this then, uh, Ben? In regards to, to Wales, is this who they are like, who they've been for years and Bale's sort of like, excuse the pun, like bailed them out as such and sort of masked the issues that they have? Or is this just a bad version of Wales now who might not take, might not get better for a long while? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that's, I think it's probably the latter. That's what it looks like at the moment. I think, as I kind of tried to allude to a minute ago, I think there's a lot of players here who we thought, Joe Rodon's another example, who people have been kind of quietly talking up. It's Swansea did really well. We thought, okay, he gets to move to Tottenham got the makings of a really good defender but, but it's just not kicked on and there's, there's there's too many of those in this team and part of that's probably not their, all entirely their own fault you know they're not playing loads of minutes some of these guys at, at club level um but they they all look you know sort of five or six of them look look short of it if you like and i think that that's just not conducive to a successful team and you know danny ward's another example obviously got got dropped by leicester um yeah i i think I think the team is not is talented, and I think people are critical of Page for that it should be getting more out of them. But I don't know really if that's sort of blind blind faith in some of these players. On the subject of how many games do I remember Cameron Jerome coming deep for coming short in front of me? I I think if you really pressed me, I couldn't remember one ninety minutes off Cameron Jerome, and I've obviously seen him play quite a lot. But actually, to actually nailed down. Definitely a playoff final for someone at some point, but you know, I couldn't, I couldn't give you an actual football match, even though I would have seen many played. My apologies to Cameron Jerome. It's not the only, not the only player of which that is uh, the case. So on the subject of dropping deep, there was one Cambridge game where uh, we had so many injuries. Our assistant manager, I think it was called Paul Clark, played sweeper, and he was about forty-five, and he was literally on the six-yard box. It was amazing. There is, there is somewhere where de- it is too deep. It was absolutely sensational. He was sort of behind. Lionel Perez who was sort of on the halfway line for most of the game anyway anyway the Republic of Ireland beat Gibraltar 3-0 there was one point Robin yesterday after about 19 minutes where there were no goals in any of the 7.45 kickoffs and every part of me was I'd be great if these all finished nil-nil and then the Republic was still nil-nil after about 50 minutes against Gibraltar and you're like oh man Gibraltar I mean I only saw the highlights it it looked like actually they you know they were going to be all right they scored eventually beating Gibraltar I mean are we able to say they are mugs? I mean, I don't mean, I, I mean that sounds so insulting, but you know, they're not. Is is they're not no mugs? Is is a is a better way of phrasing it, isn't it? Um, yeah, Gibraltar, um, obviously extremely limited um, for obvious reasons. Um, I actually ended up watching their game against France, and they, they are they are like, what they can be is very organised, but eventually that's pretty much all all they've got. Got basically no attacking threat, so it will tell. It's just it's interesting to compare like the sort of the other home nations because obviously so this was Evan Ferguson's first competitive goal. It's just a player that the Republic of Ireland are probably going to be relying on for a long time, but it's just a, that sort of big number nine who's also got an excellent uh, touch and sort of good awareness doesn't come around that often for um, especially nations like that. So like Wales don't have anything 
like that, do they at all? Or just going back to that, I really liked John Bruin. I know you're not on Twitter at the moment, Max, but he said, I think Turkey could be dark horses. Yes, good. <laughs> he also made a good line yesterday about, um, you know, he'd be really good on Soccer Aid, which made me start thinking about Aaron Ramsey at that sort of pace oh. of the game. And absolutely nail. I think I'd, that'd Soccer be really Aid, sad to see oh, him God. at Soccer Even Aid. Even Nadem's giving me a face there. That's, sort of, <laughs> that's too hard. That is tough. Um, uh, yeah, Gibraltar 201 in the FIFA rankings tied with... Somalia. So look, it doesn't, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but a win's a win. It's their first win of the campaign. Meanwhile, Northern Ireland got beaten by Kazakhstan. Did anyone see the Kazakhstan goal? That was great, wasn't it? Um, yes, Nadim. Amat Aimbetov. I don't know a lot about him, but a kind of goal where he ran past every Northern Irish defender without actually running past any of them. Yeah, of course. You know, you know me, Max. I, I sort of link with those type of goals. You know, after my one against Chelsea, uh, so actually, I don't know if I've spoken about it before. No, no, you, I've done that before. Yeah, but you actually, you actually took it past. I think yours required more technical skill. I think. No, it didn't, Max. It didn't. Trust me, he did it from further out as well. And his was was it the 88th minute or something like that to uh, to win the game. It's you know you can look at it from two perspectives. It's a great winner, but like one of the worst goals you can concede when you've got that many bodies around mm-hmm. someone. You know, if you're playing at home as Northern Ireland needing a win as well. But fair play to him. You know, he stepped up, and yeah, that's a tough loss again for Northern Northern Ireland. I'd say, but this is this is where football goes, isn't it, Max? Yeah. This was Son Son against Burnley came to mind as well. Like you know, you, you admire it, but you also think someone take him out for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, where he picked the ball up, yeah. If you go, he's gonna. This guy is gonna score. You're like, well, there's no way he is gonna score that goal. Anyway, Northern Ireland uh, second bottom uh, of that group. Kazakhstan joint top actually. Um, they've had some uh, uh, good results, uh, including beating Denmark, uh, who uh, are a bit flat at the moment. Uh, Scotland played Georgia tonight. Um, we had some criticism of Barca Jim. I love you, Barca Jim. Scottish Gunnar saying, how hard is it to find a Scottish pundit who actually watches the Scottish national team play? I think it's the second time we've had it on when we go, actually, I was at a gig, but I did get the alerts on my phone. Jim did say he did actually watch the whole game later. But no, you make a good point. It was a lazy booking. It is the summer. Um, and uh, we'll, force, we'll force Jim to actually do his job. Not that he's paid for this. Um, is he paid for this? Oh, we should probably give him something, shouldn't we? Anyway, Gary O'Neill sacked by Bournemouth. This is the first moment of not being on social media where when George put it in the WhatsApp group, I was like, the, you what now? What's happened there? And um, Bill Foley said uh, Bournemouth could not achieve his ambitions with Gary O'Neill at the helm. He had two years on his contract after an extension was uh, automatically triggered by avoiding relegation. They brought in Androni Iraola, who left Raya Vallecano at the end of the season. Um, it seems harsh, Ben, but is it sort of similar to that Nigel Atkins Pochettino at Southampton moment where everyone went, this is an outrage, and actually this guy's... I mean, time will tell, but my instant reaction is, God, that is rough on Gary O'Neill, but it might be the right thing. Yeah, I've got exactly those words written here, Atkins Pochettino. It feels like that pivot, doesn't it? Um, that was in the same statement as well, 10 years ago. At least this time they allowed, you know, they let it sort of brew for two and a half hours and then uh, announced that the new manager. Um, yeah, it does, does feel, I, I'm surprised as well. Um, I don't think anybody uh, saw it coming, but Bournemouth have tracked Iriola, um since last autumn before giving O'Neill the job permanently. Obviously, he took caretaker, caretaker charge after sacking uh, Scott Parker. They looked at him. Um, before giving O'Neill the, the permanent job wasn't available, couldn't couldn't come. Um, obviously, Leeds tried their luck as well in February, and he wouldn't leave Vallecano then either. Um, but now he, you know, he's available. He's free to take charge. And I think Bournemouth feel he's a really 
exciting appointment. I think they think it's quite the the coup. Um, Slightly sort of deserby like, do you think that kind of yes, vibe? Yes, and I do know Bournemouth looked at or tracked deserby certainly. Obviously, Brighton moved quicker and sort of beat them to the punch, but they really liked him. And in a way, I don't think it's a surprise that Bournemouth have gone down this route towards. I mean, the the big thing that Bournemouth was stressing yesterday was that this is a style of play thing. We want this style of play. We think this is going to take us to a level that, frankly, we don't think Gary O'Neill can, which feels really harsh given the job he did. But as you say, if it turns out to be sort of more Pochettino-like, then they're going to look like geniuses, let's face it. And it's the same with Brighton, isn't it? When they sacked Hewton, you know, it was that, oh, this pragmatic guy who's just pretty safety first. Graham Potter comes in and, and does brilliantly. And then obviously since then... Uh, Deserby's even sort of removed that ceiling that we probably thought was at Brighton again and, and, and kicked Brighton on. So I think it's exciting for Bournemouth. I, I think the point we should make as well is that the fans are are not in sort of pieces that Gary O'Neill has left, which may surprise a few people, but I think they maybe felt his work was done and, and they're definitely excited by this appointment. But it, it does feel quite ballsy, but... Um, I think in a, in a way you have to you have to credit Bournemouth as well for making this call. I think it would be easy to just sort of plough into next season. But if if deep down this is what they're thinking, Bill Foley we know is an ambitious owner. Um, you know he, he said many times he's here to be sort of aggressive and upset rivals and lots of sort of zinging sound bites. And and this is an example of it. Uh, probably there's a few clubs in the league rivals who would think, oh, we we quite fancy this guy. We we like the look of him. And, and Bournemouth. They've got him and uh, we'll see how it plays out. If you're Gary O'Neill, though, then you should be, surely you're sitting there when they call you in going, but hang on a second. Like, you, I came in after we lost 9-0 to Liverpool. I've kept us in the Premier League pretty comfortably and you wanted me to, what, play ticker-tacker at the same time? Like, you know, baby steps and all that. Why now, if you know what I mean? Could we not have been sacked at the end of the season if that was going to be the way that they thought about it? Because what's changed in that time? You know, it's not like the players have been in and have been, you know, going through passengers and discovered that all of a sudden Gary O'Neill's not the right guy for this third man run or something. So I don't get the now. Obviously, they would have been chasing this this other fella. But as I say, why didn't you just do it earlier then if that was an issue? And it's it's a tough position for him to be in because he's essentially now, so the day he dies, be known as a Premier League manager. You know, he's had 37 games, oh, he's had however many games. He kept the team up and a team that most people fancied to go down. I think they were the ones which felt like they were dead certs after he came in. So he's done what appears to be a good job. And you can have owners that are ambitious and so on, but Irola, he could do well. He might not do. You could have a style of play that doesn't suit the players that you have. You could have a style of play that doesn't really match up to the other teams. Because are you really going to all of a sudden start out playing everybody that's in and around you in the Premiership? Probably not, but it could be all right. But again, to take a step back, I think we need to remember moments like this when in 10 years' time we were doing a trivia quiz saying, what was the last English manager to win a Premier League? And the answer is, well, we decided that we'd rather go for style of play and the style of play is only available outside of these shores. You know, that's the... It's a weird quiz, this. Um, <laughs> I can't wait for it. 2033, the Nader Manua her trivia quiz. I think the last English manager to win a top division, was it Howard Wilkinson or something like that? Yeah, and this was the year before the, the Premier League started. But then they'd be like, oh, there's no English talent, there's no English this, there's no English that. But then we're watching with our own eyes how football is changing on the field. But surely like some English managers could have a chance to potentially try and do that. It's just case you just, eh, well, 
you're from you're from the south or whatever. We need someone that's like clearly been in the Basque region for a while because otherwise it doesn't really they don't really feel it. You know what I mean? But good luck to them. Um, it, it's a shame for him because Gary O'Neill is a former teammate of mine. So yeah, my, my allegiance is very much with him, and I thought he did do a good job. But they clearly have a plan in play. But uh, you know, we'll have to see because the Premier League is very very different to La Liga, isn't it? Robin, are you more surprised about Gary O'Neill or Darren Moore, who's left Sheffield Wednesday by mutual consent after winning that playoff final against Bournemouth after that amazing comeback uh, against Peterborough in the semi-finals? Both parties believe that now is the right time we go our separate ways, said the chairman, uh, Dejan Chansiri. Uh, in the football industry, journeys come to an end and now is that time, which we both agree. The mu- it's all very mutual, this, Robin, isn't it? To make mm. me feel like it might not be as mutual as this mutually agreed statement suggests. <laughs> Yeah, I I do wonder how mutual it really was. But yeah, it's quite, I think for Bournemouth, they've lucked out here because you think they were like, you think this is mad? Look what's happening over there, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, it's interesting what Ben said about, you know, it's it's not, the decision clearly from Bournemouth is not that unpopular. Obviously, we'll see how, how the new guy gets on. But I do wonder, and this is, this is a question, I guess, how how unpopular is this going to be? And if, if it's very unpopular... God, they've put some pressure on themselves to get the next appointment right. And yeah, and that, this is the other question. How mutual is it? Because if it is genuinely, I mean, they always say it is. It never is. If it is genuinely like maybe, you know, Darren Moore wasn't convinced with what they were going to do in the summer for him. And he was like, OK, maybe I'll leave on a high. Then that sort of, I guess, might make a bit of sense. But like, I just don't get it. I mean, that was... They had a record number of points and not go up automatically. They then did that ridiculous turnaround. That was, again, a record-breaking turnaround in a playoff semi-final against Peterborough. Um, he is widely recognised as, a, as a, not just a good coach, and that's important, a very, very good coach, but just also a genuinely nice guy uh, who the players really like. You know, remember that social media video of Barry Bannon? So, yeah, this one really did surprise me. And I don't know if anything will come out and we'll find out what happened, but it all seems a bit odd from the outside, at least. Uh, as I was to say, I, I was there when um, it, it, the playoff final when Sheffield Wednesday obviously made it up, got up um, very, very late on. Um, I'm not, too, don't get me wrong, I didn't see this coming, but I'm not entirely surprised given some of the noises Darren Moore was making up you know, in the aftermath of that victory, had this sort of marathon press conference when he was being asked sort of very tedious questions about Lee Gregory and, you know, just very boring things. But um, David Downs, his head of recruitment, is left for Blackpool in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Darren Moore was obviously inevitably asked questions after uh, winning that playoff final about, you know, how do we attack the championship? How do we make sure we're in a better place? Blah, blah. And... I think he knew they needed big changes, lots of uh, investment, uh, reassurance of certain things, players out of contract. And I don't think even at that point, I think he probably knew what was coming down the track. Uh, I think that club as well is a little bit fractured still. I mean, they almost got rid of Darren Moore um, in the build-up, in the weeks before that playoff final. Obviously, it was a poor run. I don't think it'd be the worst thing. They were unconvincing. I know it was a great comeback, but they, they were unconvincing uh, on numerous occasions towards the end of that season, last season. 
uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's been a, the most happiest of marriages for a little while. So I don't think it's the, the biggest surprise, actually. Just two things, Max. Um, I need to get ahead of this because I, I can see myself getting the outs already on social media. I wasn't saying Gary O'Neill was going to win the Premier League next season, just so we're clear. All right. Well, that's a kind of, that's a, that's a, that's a sort of hypothetical trivia quiz, which is much harder to, it's much harder, isn't it? Anyone that's listened to this point here, like, please delete that tweet you're about to love. Yeah. But um, the other side, like, the managers losing their jobs to, like, in the last couple of days, especially the Darren Moore one, their preseason will start next week. Like, surely a manager, and in that time, he's made decisions about players who are going to stay, players who are going to have extensions and so on and so forth. Why would you give somebody the keys to essentially this near future, but then the next person that comes in all of a sudden had no say in terms of who left because you never know. You never know who you like, who you don't like, where you want your preseason to be, how you want it to look and so on. But these things don't just happen overnight. Don't just like gather the night before and say, right, this is what we're going to do in preseason for the next six weeks. It's like, why why, why now? Like, fortunately, I, I genuinely do not get it. And it, they, they might have been issues, but he would have been the guy that's planning preseason from like before the season even finished last year. If we go up, we'll do this. If we, if we stay where we are, we'll do that. And then, yeah, literally seven days or whatever before they're back in. Like, bang, we'll just start fresh again. I, I really don't understand that. Um, before we end part two, Ben, you wanted to pay tribute to the Guardian journalist, Jeremy Alexander, uh, who passed away at the age of 81 and been at the paper for 57 years. Yeah, just very quickly, um, people uh, on the desk in our place would have known him a lot longer than myself, but uh, just an amazing guy, um, very encouraging to myself and lots of us. Um, Brilliant writer, a uh, very sort of meticulous sub. Um, I dug out an email actually the other uh, a few days ago um, that he'd sent me after I did a piece with Steve Evans, the, the Stevenage manager, and he just said, uh, "Lovely piece, but just want to be sure that you he were in Rutland, Jeremy." And I replied and said, "Yeah, it, it was in Rutland, Jeremy." He said, uh, "It was just that neither Stevenage nor Stamford is in Rutland, so worth a check." And I just thought that. Um, sort of epitomised him really that sort of just encapsulated uh, all sides of him just a great guy um, and will be terribly missed by uh, everybody uh, at our place yeah we, we we send his best wishes just there I just see that sort of attention to detail and we can't even get a, a Scotsman who's seen Scotland play uh, <laughs> so you know that's what that's what Football Weekly needed but our, our best wishes of course uh, to the family and friends um, of Jeremy Alexander, who's passed away at the age of 81. We'll be back in a sec. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Alexander says, time to start asking where the money comes from for Chelsea and the tie-in with Saudi Arabia. Maybe 10 minutes of Philippe that goes straight on the cutting room floor. So yeah, Mendy Koulibaly and Ziyech, along with Kante, uh, looking to be going to uh, the Saudi League. Um, uh, Al Nasser for Hakim Ziyech, Al Hilal for Koulibaly, Al Ali for Mendy, Al Itihad for Kante. It'll be interesting as time goes by that we actually sort of know who these sides are and, and, and a bit more about them. Um, those four Saudi clubs are now owned by the Public Investment Fund. Obviously, owned Newcastle United and owed Golf now. Um, the Public Investment Fund, according to CBS Soccer, reportedly have billions of pounds of assets managed by Clear Lake Capital, who are the majority shareholders at Stamford Bridge. Um, Todd Bowley was apparently in Saudi Arabia earlier this month, um, greeting the wheels that bought salvation in a summer that had potential disaster for Chelsea. They just need to offload a lot of players. It's complicated, Robin. It doesn't mean that PIF and Saudi Arabia own Chelsea. I mean, that is, you know, there is a, 
there's this clear demarcation between that and Newcastle United. But it does seem when, when it's you're in a fortunate position if you've got somewhere you can sell players for a lot of money who might be amenable to it. It just seems very murky, and yeah, it's someone pointed out this is like you know it, it, they're being bailed out for bad decision making and the potential sort of sanctions from FFP and they've just managed that Saudi Arabia this because they're offering so much money they're going to be able to balance the books and it just seems a bit I mean there's it's a lot going into this I don't want to get in trouble but it kind of you know it's all yeah this just doesn't it just doesn't sit right um, two games were abandoned on Monday following allegations of racial abuse. New Zealand refused to play the second half against Qatar after saying uh, Michael Boxall was abused by a Qatari player during the first half. New Zealand football tweeted out Michael Boxall was racially abused during the first half of the game by a Qatari player. No official action was taken, so the team have agreed not to come out for the second half of the game. Meanwhile, the Republic of Ireland under-21s friendly with Q8 also ended early um, after uh, an alleged racist remark. Uh, the FAI said a Q8 under-22 player made the mark to a Republic of Ireland substitute. Both matches were taking place in Austria, um, coincidentally. Uh, the FAI said it will report the incident during the Q8 match to FIFA and UEFA. Last week, uh, Gianni Infantino uh, said Real Madrid's Vinicius Junior will lead a special anti-racism committee made up of players, which will suggest stricter punishments for discriminatory behaviour in football. Um, Gianni loves a photo op, doesn't he? He was having lots of nice sitting-down, smiling pictures uh, with Vinicius Junior. Um we await any meaningful change with scepticism, I would say. And, and I don't know if, like, is, is obviously Vinicius Jr., like, and, and Johnny Lou was saying, you know, actually what he's done and, uh, you know, could be the most important player of the year for off-the-pitch reasons as well as being a brilliant footballer. But it shouldn't be incumbent on him to, to make these decisions or to, to be in a, I mean, may, may, maybe he appreciates being asked what he thinks should happen. Um, as a player, Nadem, you know, as a black guy, I'd ask you, what do you, what do you think? I think it depends on the player because right. some people are very scared to speak up because they know that from when you start, like it never really ends because you'll become the representative that will speak on this issue going forward and represent thousands of people forever. And that's a lot on people's shoulders because as well, there's the other side where you just want to play football. Mm. But he knows the issues. But then he also understands that like his perspective would be different to say someone like that's playing in a different place who hasn't necessarily had the same experience. So I think I think it's tough. I think being the spokesperson for a lot of people can be very, very tough, especially in a place where there isn't that much empathy in the grand scheme of things. And you can say it, but a lot of people won't believe it. You know what I mean? Mm. And when you say it matters the most to you, someone say, well, it's football, just get over it. Like some people will still be disgusted that those two games got postponed yesterday. They'll be thinking, well, just play the game, just play the game. But then the perspective of the one who receives the abuse is that how can you play the game when this is happening? So I think there is a lot on um, on Vinicius Junior's shoulders. I hope he I hope he's ready for it and really understands what it's what it means. Because even like I'll I'll get this out there every time, and this isn't for this podcast, but I'm going to put it out there. Every time there's some element of racial abuse that happens within football, my phone starts blowing up with people sure. who get, yeah, get yeah, serious yeah. for me to talk about it, and I just like. <laughs> You know, I can talk about other things as well. Yeah. But at this stage, there should be other people that are capable of talking about it who don't necessarily need to be me. But still, I do it because I understand the, the value of it. But then, like, if you keep having to do something over and over, maybe things aren't changing the way that people believe it. And actually, something we're really conscious about is is not, you know, you have people on, you have a diverse podcast, right? So that these conversations can happen regardless of who's on. And most of the time, 
it will it won't just be four white men talking about it you know that's that's the key right and if you it's weird like how am I how am I the specialist for like current Premier League players you get racially abused after missing a penalty like that's how we go oh everyone's got my number again right let's, yeah. let's uh, mm-hmm. and I usually come just after John Barnes who said the exact opposite thing and, I'm going to <laughs> and then we call it a balanced argument like yeah. oh, come on like what, what are we doing um, uh, uh, let's talk about United women's team uh, quickly Robin what, what's happened there well they've lost their two best players um, for free um Orna Baccia has gone back to Barcelona. Uh, Alessia Russo has announced that she's not going to be signing a new deal with um, Manchester United. Widely reported she's going to be joining Arsenal. Um, now, I mean, just to kind of maybe not dig out Manchester United too much, Baccia has gone back to where she started her career and probably where her family is. And Russo is from London. So it might be because of that. But from what I, what's been reported is that in the financial package that they were offered was pretty much the same as what they will be getting from their new clubs. And it was just that Manchester United took way too long over it, which if that is the case, that's pretty damning. Mm. Um, yeah. Also, there's some breaking news that actually right. Ke- Kelly Chambers, who's been the Reading, been at Reading and the Reading coach for about 20 years, has gone, has left. Um, she's about to give birth to her second child. Um, so hopefully she'll get a proper maternity leave this time. Uh, we discussed this on the Guardian Women's Football Weekly because she, I think she took about maybe a couple of weeks after oh her first God. one. I know oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, she's left. They've just been relegated. Um, so, uh, and there's a couple of vacancies actually in the WSL Spurs and West Ham are still looking for new, um, for new head coaches. And she will be definitely top of the list once she is ready. But I know, um, Ben, I mean, Reading as a football club are in an absolute mess, aren't they? I've heard that two former Oxford United managers have turned down the the chance to manage them. I think in, um, well, reportedly Chris Wilder and Carl Robinson. So that whole club, Reading, uh, who were, the men's team are in League One and the women's team were relegated as well to the championship, not in a good way at the moment. Yeah, that's a shambles, I think, really, isn't it, Robin? It's, um, and obviously the, the women have gone to part-time, haven't they? And it's obviously... That's that's never a good thing. Um, the Reading CEOs said about you know cost cutting and stuff. It's um, yeah, it's all a mess. And, and unfortunately, I mean they were in the Championship playoff final what six years ago, uh, one game from the Premier League, and since then it's been quite the, the decline all round. Oh, look, that'll do for today. Um, I appreciate your time as always. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Safe flight home from Turkey. Cheers, Nadem. Cheers, Max. Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Max. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by George Cooper. The executive producer is Max Sanderson. Um, we've got a couple of specials, The Life and Times of uh, Troy Townsend and Nikki Bandini, which were both fascinating conversations. We'll be out in the next couple of weeks and we'll be back after that. <laughs> <laughs> 